Welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits here at the Recycle Garage in presumably sunny Santa Cruz because we're recording it. But hey, I assume it was sunny today. Hey, um, in the garage tonight, you have me. This is Liza. And being so quiet and takes so much, so hard, so hard, so hard. We've got Emma. Hello, darlings. And squeezed up so close next to her. Is Jim? He it's, smells good. That's right. It's a cozy night here in the garage. <laughs> it is. It's just me and him. It's one and a bottle of and gin. Introducing a new segment. I'm calling it uh, Extended Family of Misfits. All the way from Texas, we have Sheila with us. Hey, Hello. Sheila. Welcome. So uh, we're doing something new. Um, this is just going to be a small group recording because we're just bringing some, some extra content to you. Because we're not dysfunctional enough. We have to reach out and bring in. And this is a way, (laughs) you know, I'll be honest with uh, the usual large group that we have, it's very hard to have anyone Skype or call in and be able to be a part of the conversation. Um, So we're starting to do some of these special recordings where we can have people join us from afar and I'm calling them extended family of misfits. So if there's somebody out there, you feel like you're one of those extended family. We get a lot of people who say, you know, I listen every Monday and I just feel like I'm there with you guys. Like I know everyone. Well, guess what? We want you to be a part of this too. So you can email us. Uh, this is going to be at recycle motorcycle garage at gmail.com and say you would like to participate. And we're doing these weeknight recordings. So I wanted to thank Sheila for being the first one to join us on this. Hopefully it goes. Okay. So, um, Jim, let's do a little get to know Sheila and why she's a misfit too. Yeah, well, it's kind of fun talking about Sheila because we've known her for a while now. She's been uh, emailing in and and always good stories. And I think one of the things I like about what we're doing with this podcast is other people's stories are so much more interesting than ours. True. So now we have a True. chance where where yeah, where people around the around the world actually right can can uh, can participate and join in the fun. So I think, I'm, and I'm stoked that uh, Sheila gets to be our first guest. And um, well, Sheila, tell us a little bit about how you got into biking. You know, we'll start there. Um, I, it, my dad was the big influence on getting into motorcycling. Um, probably at the age of three, four, I was really small, you know, really tiny, and I would ride on the gas tank of his motorcycle. Ah, one of those kids got the right early. Kids, barefooted and everything. No, no helmet, no any, no kind of protection. Well, that was and, proper uh, 70s riding, right? 60s Yeah, riding. yeah. And uh, then uh, my sister would ride on the back, so he had the two of us on there. And then eventually I got to ride on the back. I got a little taller, and he trusted me to, to ride on the back. And then um, he's just always been the guy that got me to, to ride anything, go-karts and everything. So that's cool. It's, um, you know, not everybody has a, a dad or parents that let, that let them, you know, motorcycle at a, at a young age or, you know, put them on the tank at three years old. So what was your dad like, uh, regular Joe or what was he all about? He's pretty laid back. He, he likes to tinker with things. He doesn't want to leave anything alone. Um, he can buy the perfect bike, but he's still got to cut something off or weld something on or, do something to modify it. He can't keep it stock. 
oh, I like that. That's exactly what I like to do. Buy something perfect and then just chop it all to hell. Love it. (laughs) Yes, I've seen you do that to brand new bikes out of the box. Yes. Um, So where did did he get his welding skills from? Um, I don't know. Yeah, but he started welding at a young age? A fairly young age. And uh, he... um, when my parents first got married, he didn't have very much money or anything. And it was a really stupid idea, but apparently it worked for him. He uh, decided he'd build his own welder. So he got got a hot plate, and he cut the coil in half. What? <laughs> awesome. And I don't understand all of how he made it, but he said the coil was in a, a bowl of water. Emma, and didn't he, you do this in prison? He, yes, no, I it did. sounds like a prison welder. He he hooked, he plugged it into an extension cord. He had that plugged into the um, a thirty amp breaker for the air conditioning unit. And he said, "You always did it on concrete, and you had one hand behind your back at all times in case it shorted out or whatever. You'd have a free hand." Um, I don't know how he thought of this, how this worked. Um, he didn't have Google or anything back then in the sixties. So um, he seems like quite the character. Yeah, yeah. well, you know. It, he he's a builder too. When you talk about him being a tinkerer, you sent us a picture, and Emma hasn't seen this, but I think this will kind of talk about what kind of tinkering. And then he there's does. another so, one. This is something like the recycled garage could do fairly easy. So your misfit, okay, she, you're, she's looking at your misfit. <laughs> your misfit roots run deep. Father, a, now I asked him about his what he used to weld this bike because um, he also. My mom told me she said we never had coat hangers. You know. He, oh yeah, no, I've used coat hangers as a welder. Yeah, rod. he would get a hanger and a and a torch and use that for his welder. And so this bike you're looking at. <laughs> wait, I would wait before you go, Sheila. I want I want Emma to do her best job describing what she's looking at. Okay, so what we're looking at here is is this the same bike, Sheila? Yes. Or is this, yes. It's the same the, bike, so it's just metamorphosized through the years. Yeah. <laughs> the the last so, picture of him sitting on it, I think, was. The last picture of it. Okay. The bike seems to be getting shorter as the years go on. So mm-hmm. what we've got here, and I'm I'm going to speculate that it probably started off as something like a Cushman scooter. It, it it's a it's a small capacity motorcycle scooter, and <laughs> my God, I don't know where to look. It's <laughs> instead of a headlight, it has a gas tank. <laughs> it has a gas tank where the headlight should be. It's it's short. It's because it's high. in the way, you know. He there's no it. way. There's no there's no way possible to not burn your leg on the exhaust. No, there's like um, a foot between the front and rear tire. And it's you, yes, you don't sit on this bike. You you put it on. It's like putting on an item of clothing. It's got. Of nearly vertical sissy bar, it's got. I I don't even know where to begin. It looks like it, something out of the circus. Yeah, it is. It's a circus bike. And how fast would he ride this thing? Uh, well, uh, I know it went at least sixty-five. Um, oh dear God! And what happens at sixty-five yeah. on that bike? Uh, it starts to shimmy, and he wrecked it. Um, <laughs> what this start? Sub- this started out. It was. He didn't remember the exact year. He said it was a fifties model um triumphs 250 scooter that was supposed oh, to have a, a, it was supposed to have a sidecar on it it was made to have a sidecar but he didn't have do you see the, the um on the frame the top 
bar on the frame is a set of bicycle forks welded on. To... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> from, <clears throat> from the top of the triples down. So we'll, we'll post this oh on the gosh. webpage. We'll, we'll post <laughs> this a, so a bicycle see seat. I'm thing. pretty sure there's a trombone involved here, too. I, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I can see a trombone of some description. Um, it's, it's, it's just beyond marvelous. If you were to write this down, I mean, it's very pertinent because most of the misfits, excluding me, are going to the dirt bike, um, dirt bike challenge this weekend. If you wrote this to the dirt bike, you'd just win it. <laughs> I, think so I mean, too. there's no question of it. The thing is, it, you, it doesn't even look comfortable, you know, the way he's sitting on it. And well, it's, it's not supposed to be. Yeah, but so, he's smiling, darling. He looks like he's sitting on a 1970s like bike you would get for Christmas when you were eight. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it looks like. He, so, um, he went to get... Get it inspected, uh, registered, and all that stuff after he got done with it, and it failed inspection. They said, no, we're not going to pass it. And they said that the, the front suspension was too deep for the length of it and that the front shock didn't work. So he and, goes to, And they were right. And they let him ride it off back home. And so he's going down the highway, and he said he was going about 65 when he when it started to shimmy and he lost control, like it had a I, I can guarantee you, he was not going sixty five, but thirty five felt like exactly. sixty five. <laughs> and he said, he says all he could see was yellow, and that it was shaking so bad he couldn't, you know, he couldn't see. And so he starts sliding and flipping yellow. and sliding and flipping. And he's trying to run. You sure he didn't? He didn't like. He's trying to stand like, up. Drop acid before he started riding. <laughs> because it looks like you might. <laughs> what was he doing in that barn? Good lord. <laughs> But uh, he's after he loses control, he's trying to stand up, and he just keeps tumbling and sliding. And well, isn't that what and, you're supposed to do when you start losing control? Stand up and <laughs> go yeah, flying, stand right? Up. And uh, so, yeah. So the so you got the bug early, and you got introduced into motorcycling early. Yeah. Yeah, and, that's cool. So then you had a natural progression of bikes too, right? So what was the what was the first bike you got? The first dirt bike, dirt bike I got was a Suzuki DS80. Uh huh. And it's probably about the size of my XR80 I have now. But, uh, yeah, that was my first bike. First first thing I got to really have a little more control over. I had three-wheelers and four-wheelers, but they, they just weren't the same. Something about a motorcycle was so much more fun. Right. What was and, it like the first time you hopped on a bike and you had oh, your I own motorcycle? It. I loved it. It's, I rode until after dark. I, I rode it all day long. I skipped dinner. And I think I probably just had to go to the bathroom or something. Is the only reason I stopped. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> and then what was your step up bike from there? Um, from there, uh, after I moved to the city, I grew up in the country, so um, dirt bikes were a natural bike to have. And I had never ridden on the street, so when I moved to the city, went to go look for a motorcycle, and nothing really fit me very well. So I wound up with a Honda Metropolitan scooter, mm -hmm. and. Uh, I rode there around a little while, and then um, someone asked me to go check out Suzuki's um, Boulevard S40. It's their smaller boulevard, and uh, has a really low seat height, and uh, fit me pretty well. So I wound up buying that. And so there's uh, a consistent a consistent theme here about the size. So so tell us how tell us about your stature. I'm five feet tall, and uh, about ninety five pounds. Right. And my inseam is thirty inches. So it's really difficult to find bikes. Um, I know Liza probably has just the opposite issue. She can't fit on them, get fold up enough <laughs> true, to get. It's true. Oh, it's so you know, true. It's, 
Well, Liza actually towers over me because I'm pretty giant. I, I'm 5'9". Um, <laughs> but Liza towers over me. In fact, I think the first time I ever showed up at the, the garage without my heels on, Liza looks at me and says, aren't you tiny? <laughs> <laughs> How tall are you, Liza? Six. Seven, two. Six, seven, two. Six, eight. Anyway. Anyway, I mean, I, I'm but, six foot tall, but my shadow projects you, you, six foot four. You cast a giant shadow. Um, so you're on the S40, which is a fantastic bike. I've always had a soft spot for those right. bikes. Unchanged, basically, right? Since 1986 or so? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Same yep. bike? Yep. Yeah. Thumper? Cha- it's just kind of it's like a Thumper Cruiser. No, they changed the name. I mean, back then it was called the Savage. It was right. the yeah. Suzuki, Savage yeah. 650. Suzuki Savage. I still call it the Savage. Now, do you know sauvage means soft and furry in French? Did you know that? Thank you for that. <laughs> a little bonus. Nugget. <laughs> so you had the Boulevard 40, low seat height, like 28 inches or something like that. Yeah. Uh, how'd that, it, was, it seems like a perfect bike. How did that go? You know, I was used to a dirt bike. I was used to the pegs being underneath me, and I really wasn't comfortable with the, the pegs being so far forward. And, but I was like, you know, I just need to get used to it. I'll, I'll try it out. And I kept it for about a year. But uh, one day I was on the highway. And, uh, I mean, I had gone 100, 120 before, no problems. And then one day all of a sudden, I was only going maybe 65. I'd just gotten onto the highway and it's relaxed, merged in with all the traffic. And then all of a sudden, both of my feet fly off the pegs. What? <laughs> Magic? Yeah. What type of sorcery is this? I I didn't know what happened. I thought I fell off. I was just they they I mean my elbows were hitting my knees. And I'm like, what? What's going on? And I couldn't get my feet back down. I guess it was just a really strong headwind and Were you possessed? With, well, with my feet being <laughs> forward and I'm so light like that, there's no weight holding my feet down. <laughs> You know, are you telling me your feet became kites? Is they that blew what off. My, my feet blew, literally just blew off the pegs. And so I finally got them back down and I took them. <laughs> I, I took my right foot under the brake and my left foot under the gear shift. And uh, oh my gosh, then I got off. That must have scared the shit out of you. Yeah. I, I have a whole new level of empathy now. I just always knew that short people couldn't use the top row of cabinets in the kitchen. I didn't think there were problems <laughs> like this. It's a huge difference. And the other thing is, on my smaller bikes, when the wind, it's always windy in Texas. So when the wind blows, it blows the bike around and it blows me around. But I know how to compensate for it. So then I get this S40. The bike doesn't blow around, but I still do. So then you have to learn a whole different way to compensate for that. May, may yeah. I suggest a bunch of bungee cords? No, <laughs> I, no. my suggestion, darling, if you go down to the local dive shop and get yourself a pair of lead boots. I, I was thinking those, those flat track boots. you got to get yeah, the flat yeah, track you shoe. Yeah, you with the, 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 metal the metal shoe. Yeah. I know oh, we're my... not helping. I know but, this is not helpful. But... You know, I had never even thought about just literally flying off the bike like that. And if I had just had one hand on the handlebars or something, I would have probably jerked and and turned the handlebars and flipped. But, uh, you know, and then the other issue I had going uphill, I would start sliding down the back of the seat. And so I'd have to grip the tank with my knees and and try and pull myself up. And 
It really You're just, wrestling that oh thing. Oh my god! Good it was not Lord. a drivable bike after a while. It had its it had its problems. Um, but it's uh, like riding an anaconda or something. I feel like you should just lay it, just roll on the throttle and Superman that thing. Just don't even worry about your legs. Just let them oh fly behind god. you. So, so what was the fate of the uh, what was the fate of that that uh, bike? I went up selling it after about a year. Um, just really wasn't enjoying it that much. <laughs> And so I was like, well, I'll just, I, I sold that and I bought the ruckus and, uh, then, uh, I bought after that, I bought a 1972 LT2 Enduro. Yeah. Cool. Nice. And that's just, it's a perfectly scaled down motorcycle. It's got about <laughs> yes. 29 inch seat on it and I love it. Probably weighs and, like what? 200 pounds. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Something very like light. That. Yeah. It's, it's lightweight and it's got it's a two stroke, so you've got that lovely two stroke power band. Yeah. yeah, the wonderful little bike. And the headlight never works at night, never. It'll work during the day, but it won't work at night. Okay. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but it's got a little six volt battery in there, and uh, doesn't really do much. I don't put the turn signals on it because I don't think anybody will be able to see it, so I just use the hand signals. Um. But, uh, and then I bought recently a scooter with a sidecar, the Genuine Stella. That, that's worth, worth pausing. So tell us more about the Stella, because we kind of watched your uh, evolution with that. Um, so talk, talk a little bit more about that, because it's a beautiful rig. Yeah, so I've wanted a sidecar for a long time. I've just always thought they were neat. And we all told you it was a terrible idea. I yeah, remember everybody, everybody just, said it was an just, awful idea. it was a terrible and, idea. Yeah, it's just you have to just manhandle it to, to keep it on the road. And What's up with you and manhandling bikes? You're always wrestling <laughs> motorcycles. I know, but uh, <laughs> that wasn't true. You know, when I, after I finally got the sidecar um, and everybody says, you know, I read all the forums and all the sidecar um, information and they said put a 50-pound bag of something in the sidecar and ride around with that for a while till you get used to it and then take it out. And I kind of thought that was strange. I don't want to get used to having 50 pounds in there and then take it out and then have to get used to not having the 50 pounds in there. So um, I just started out, didn't put anything in it, rode around, took the corners really slow. And after a weekend of riding it, I was getting the hang of it. I could take the corners faster. I know where the threshold is and where I can start to tip. So, um, but it's been great. Yeah, because you... You liked it from day one. It seemed like, I mean, because we were all kind of following along with you there because it was fascinating. It, and it's beautiful. It's this, I don't know if it's, it's, it's candy apple red. Candy apple red. Uh-huh. Is it metal flake? Uh, it has a little glitter. It's not metal flake. Yeah. It's kind of like okay. a car glitter. Gotcha. Because it, it's beautiful. Yeah. It looks like, yeah, it looks like you, you need to lead the town parade with it. I'm telling you. Yeah. You should be the, yeah. leading the town parade every year. But it's been great. Also- it's it's not hard to steer. Like every, I mean, it is a little bit. It's kind of like having power steering in a car, but on a much smaller scale. And the first few days, my arms were really tired. Um, but it's just like when you first learn to ride a motorcycle and your hand gets tired from the clutch, you get used to it. Right. And now, and now you know, I'm not sore. You know, the cool thing I thought about that was, you know, it really kind of brought you back into the community, right? Because that sidecar opened, not, not open doors necessarily, but you met a lot of people through that, right? I've met so many people with that. And, um, I hang out at the one of the local scooter shops on Saturday, and I always bring it up there. 
and park it out front and people stopped just because of the sidecar and they said you know we know you've been here for years we drive by all the time we've never stopped we saw the sidecar and so especially if there's little kids or something I'll take them for a ride on it and it's great they scream and they they have a great time and it's it's just nice to introduce somebody into are, are they terrified when they scream no they're they're happy okay but you sure. know, this is what I've said all along. Motorcycling goes beyond the machines and even just beyond the individuals who ride them. It's all about the community and getting yourself out there in the community. It's it's, it's wonderful. I've met um, so many people through motorcycling and scooters and you know, they're they're like family. They become more than friends and they're always there for you. Everybody pulls together. If, if someone needs something, then everybody jumps in to help them. That's what it's all about. Hey, Sheila, I've got a question for you. Okay. So why do you feel like you are a misfit? <gasps> Pressure's on, Sheila. Do you, you feel like you're one of us, right? <laughs> I find a lot pressure. of people... Not a lot of money, but a lot of pressure. No, I find a lot of people who correspond with us, they feel like they're part of us, one of us. So are you a misfit too? I don't know. Um. <laughs> now, now that she's seen us over uh, Skype, she's like, yeah, wow. maybe not so much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I You're fit in with. It's I in your in blood. Have you people. seen? I we saw the picture. The, the misfits or, or whatever. It's. You're you're a misfit, darling. You're one of us. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know, it's funny. We're just watching the progression of motorcycles. So, it seems like it's been a while since you've bought a bike and. There's all these new small displacement bikes out on the market and stuff. You know anything you've been looking at lately, thinking about yeah, maybe there's riding? Yeah, there's two new bikes. That, well, there's actually maybe like three new bikes, sort of. Um, <laughs> the one I'm really interested in getting it in next is the uh, Suzuki. Is it Van Van? Is that how you pronounce that? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Van Van. Um, I really like that. It, it looks like it's not going to be much bigger maybe than the LT2. No, it's but, not. About a 30-inch. I haven't seen it in person. I, I'm afraid if I go, I'm going to come home with it. So, No, you will. I'm waiting we've a little got bit. One, we've got one in stock right now in the in the dealership where I work. It's beautiful. I saw it when I was there. It's, um, it's a cool-looking bike. They come in like a flat gray. I like the blue and white. But yeah, the, it's the a great-looking bike. like a 3D rendering or something, it, at least online. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, they, it's, it's like a flat gray. But you know what? It's yeah. just a gas tank, Sheila. Yeah. So, Have y'all you know, sold you any could of buy them? It, or have you have you ridden one or? No, I haven't sold it yet. We only really? got one, um, and I won't ride it until it sells. But it looks like it's going to be fun. Great seat. You know, Sheila, for the last what, thirty years, the kind of the go-to bike for short people would have been Rebel, the Honda Rebel, Rebel. which yeah. I have to say, I despised. I have a picture I... of Jake on it from the MSF class, actually. I, I, I always that, hated and them. I can't ride them. The the whatever that thing is that sticks out from just beneath the seat. The battery box. Yeah, that's horrible. I've always I've hated the the style. It just looked antiquated and kind of cheap, like a toy to me. Right. Um. They only made the four fifty, um, from in eighty six and eighty seven, which I thought was more capable. The two fifty I always just felt was underpowered. Um. It's, it's really a just a. Bike. It, it is a starter bike. It's a lone, lone starter bike. But I have to tell you, I'm really digging the new Rebels. I, have you seen? Have you seen? I haven't them? seen it in person. I don't think they're going to be 
out until sometime in 2017 in the in the dealerships. Um, from what I read, I don't know that if that's true or not, but uh, yeah, the bobber so, style. Um, yeah, so for people who don't know, Honda has redesigned the Rebel. It's going to be the 300 and the 500, and the 300 is a single, and the 500 is a parallel twin. Right. Um, these things are water-cooled, um, ABS. It's got all the modern bells and whistles. Um, I, Emma, you haven't heard anything about what the retail price is going no, to be. No, um, but the price point's going to be good. As, as far as I am... I read around 4000 maybe. Yeah, Ooh, that's, that's that sounds... Wow. Because it's going to be, like most of the small displacement Hondas, they're shifting it from Japan... It's going to be um, either Indonesian-built or Thailand-built. I don't have an issue with that. I mean, I had a 500 on my bench today, and it's beautifully made. And I can tell you, they're also saying that the the saddle is at an all-time low height of just 691 millimeters. I don't know why they're using millimeters. 27.2 um, inches. Yep. So does that sound like that might fit you? Oh, yeah, that would fit easy. So they're uh, finally... This has been a big problem for years and years and years for men and women who are short, finding a bike that'll fit. And you almost get always get stuck with the cruiser. And then all the smaller cruisers are kind of, um, I, I think they're kind of cheap, like a cheap knockoff, a, a Harley wannabe. And now, now it's a Yamaha Bolt wannabe, but um, it's modern. It looks good. And to me, it... Um, I don't think it looks like a Harley wannabe. I think it looks like the metric cruisers have finally come into their own out of the shadow right. of the American bikes, and they've got their own style. Um, and this Rebel 2, they're making it so it's, it's somewhat modular, so people you can customize it, just much like right. the Yamaha Bolt, where the Rebel itself was not a customized bike. Throw on saddlebags, maybe, but people didn't do much with it. Now they're making a very short bike, that looks good is affordable and is going to be more capable and modern yes with abs i have to say for years i have not steered people towards rebels and i think finally i have been swayed <clears throat> carbureted well no i'll be fuel injected um for what it's worth i think it's bloody marvelous i'm gonna I, look I really at do. it but, uh, no it's, it's fantastic I mean, especially I'm for still, four grand for a new bike <laughs> Um, but Van, I need to Van take Van a look at both of them. And it also bit, looks, it looks like the, the new Rebel. Um, the pegs aren't as far forward, I don't think. No, it's mid-controls. Yeah, so it that might be a little it reminds, bit It reminds me a lot of the uh, of the new Triumph Bobber. It's, it's got that style to it. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a Bobber. So um, I wanted to just make an admission. You know, Looking at this new Rebel and finding myself impressed. I mean, not for me personally. A, I don't think it would fit me, and <laughs> I don't need a little cruiser. But realizing that it's just a bike I've despised and never recommended to people, and really liking what I'm seeing, and I realize that there's a lot of bikes that I have over the years just started um, discounting. A lot of them my own. I've gotten rid of my project bikes i've gotten rid of my vintage bikes i've gotten rid of my cruiser harley chopper uh, um even even my you know sport bike like my ducati the aggressive lean i realize i've gotten rid of everything because the 
style of writing that we do right here. Either we're doing some long distance or we're doing aggressive riding in the hills. We're not really doing cruising. We're not, I'm not, I personally am not doing like short little stuff around town. Well, I have the, the scooter for that. But, um, you know, people say that I slam on Harleys and I definitely have slammed on some, a lot of metric cru- cruisers like the Rebels. I, most of my life I've slammed on uh, the scooters and I'm starting to just realize that I need to quit looking at just the scope of the riding we're doing here. Yes, you do. And that when I, especially as I've been looking at all these new bikes that are coming out and the smaller, smaller displacement, uh, smaller, shorter saddle bikes, Mm -hmm. I'm really liking what's coming out of the industry right now. And again, not for me, but for everyone else, I'm appreciating what I'm seeing. I mean, they came out with the CB 300, right? I mean, yeah, but also the diversity and the, is this a real word? Modularity. Yes. You know, uh, that's something that um, most people do as soon as they get a bike, they want to change something. Well, when you have a a CBR 600, there's not a lot. I mean, you can change your grips or throw a sticker on. There's not a lot you can do. Um, Bikes have not been made. They've been made to fit a purpose. Um, and and but not have that freedom to. But you know, we we talked about this a couple of podcasts ago, and in terms of engine, there's very little we can do with these modern bikes because they're fuel injected. You know, they've all got um, ECUs on them, but you still want to customize them. So the customization is going to come from changing how the bike looks, and yeah. If you've got a CBR 600, what are you going to do? You're going to change the color, put a few stickers on it. You're done because maybe an N can. I really like the idea of this Rebel and the CBs. You can just, you can go to town on it. It's absolutely nuts. I mean, you, you can chrome this, you can chrome this, you can paint this. It's a fabulous concept. And, but I like also that somebody like Sheila, who's pretty restricted in what she can ride. Right. And she's, and Sheila's been buying scooters and small displacement bikes, she can hop on uh, the 500, or I'm sure the 300 is going to be quite capable. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and keep up with any group and not have a problem. There's a, um, yeah. There's one more bike that I want to look at, but I'm pretty sure it's too tall, and I don't know if there's anything to lower it. Um, and that's the Yamaha, Yamaha SR950, SCR950. Are you insane? That thing is so big. Oh, no, no, It's no. not really that big. It's the No, seat, all you need is a stepladder. The seat is 32, a little over 32 inches. The seat is 32 or, inches. Um, 32.7 or something like that. But I pulled one out of the crate um, last week. It's a physically big bike. Really? You go and look at one in the flesh. It's it's quite a big thing. Um it's a great looking bike. Oh my god, it's great, but it's big. Um, so you know that's something for you to think about. I mean, do you think that it would be just? You think it's too heavy? You think it's be too tall, or a little bit of both? Or? <sighs> it's difficult to put your finger on. Um, you need to try one. You well, need to come down and try one. It has got, for its size, it's got quite short shocks on it. And the problem, because it's already got short shocks yeah. on it, it's not going to give you much room to put shorter 
still sharks on it. Yeah. And it's got this weird kind of frame arrangement under the seat, which makes it look great. But the seat's kind of thin. It's so you're not really going to lose nice an inch. Bike. It's I a wish, great looking bike. I wish they had bike. a slightly smaller version of it, maybe. But uh, the Van Van is probably what I'm going to wind up getting next. Um, yeah. Sheila? And it's like half the price, too. Of the, of okay. Yamaha. <laughs> I'm not, this isn't a joke. Have you considered a bigger bike and getting the the uh, the wheels that come out? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know exactly what Do you're you talking know, about. So, Sheila, for people who are um, have uh, injuries or paraplegic or, or weak legs or whatever, there's because there's a lot of people who cannot physically support big cruisers anymore. Have you seen these uh, we, little side wheels that come out at low speeds when you drop down to like no. low five? Is it like training oh, no, this wheels? Is, they're like training, training wheels, wheels, but they're uh, speed sensitive. So they come out at very low speeds. And this is ex they're built exactly for people who are riding these big like cruisers uh, and tourers that can't physically support them. And so they, they come out at low speeds and then they retract at high speeds. Now, that may be something that would solve all problems for you. Is that something you could put on just any bike, or they? Uh, I'm not sure how they attach. <clears throat> There's a company, and I somehow I think they're in Texas that make it. I will look that up. I've what? seen videos of these, and I think it's in Texas. We are going to do some research for you. On, but <laughs> well, think of it this way: um, almost all their customers are men riding big Harleys. Yeah. So I wouldn't feel silly if I were you. Um, but no, it's something because when you're talking about, you know, your feet getting lifted off, what you really need is a, a heavy bike that's not going to get pushed around, but also has enough protection that all you're doing is just sitting there. When you have a bike that has, you know, a, the right windshield and girth to it, I, you're just sitting there with hitting, the wind shouldn't be hitting you know what you, You know what she needs, Lisa? I don't, needs, I, I don't use What's... windshields. <clears throat> I don't yeah. put windshields you know, on any of my bikes. I know the perfect bike for Sheila. Okay. The perfect go. Your a... your concourse. <laughs> <laughs> the the outrigger with the outrigger with the outrigger. Yeah. Um, she may have trouble reaching the handlebars. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> Sheila, consider it because one of the great joys for me about riding motorcycles is being able to ride big capacity powerful bikes and just whacking open the throttle and just loving that rush you get when you get a hundred horsepower eating up the tarmac it's 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 fucking marvelous i wouldn't swap it for the world and just for you not to be able to experience that because your legs don't reach the ground is a tragedy so if you can ever get yourself in a position that you could just experience the power of a big bike it's a wonder it's intoxicating you know, that Yamaha that you were talking about, it's a V-twin, but bloody hell it moves. Mm -hmm. It's a quick bike. Well, did, didn't BMW, talking about like wind protection, things like that, what was the one that they made, Emma, that had the, the gas tank was like storage, but it was very low slung? Well, you know, the, um, uh, the, 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 the BMW that I'm thinking of, the 650 Funduro had the gas tank under the seat. The filler right. cap was kind of behind you on the side okay. panel. Um, you know, they experimented with a lot of things over the years. Um, BMWs are pretty tall bikes. Um, I'm just trying to think of something smaller. That's got like, a bit of what about like a SR400? 
SR 400 is great, but that's Kickstarter only. All right. You guys, I think everybody here, including Sheila, is missing the obvious. Is? And, and well, first of all, she hasn't said she needs another bike, but we've just all started the no, game. We're, we're, What's Sheila's next bike? Sheila, I think you're going to agree with me. You know what your next bike is going to be? You are going to make a replica of your dad's bike. <laughs> yeah, A tribute death machine. Yes. You should see what he's working on now. Uh, yes, we should. He wants to build she- a scooter that I can pull people out of the ditch when they get stuck. And I said, well, that's never really happened. You know, and, but maybe he could have pulled, you know, a record, no, it's a record scooter. If you build it, they will come. He yeah, has, I'm telling you, he has fuel. Tanks we'll ride out there and crash from, in a ditch. Uh, some sort of rocket, something, or I don't know. They, they look like a missile, these fuel tanks. And he wants that to be on each side of the scooter. And the thing's going to be the size of a car. So fantastic. You know, because I Great was going to ask, I, 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 I did want to be rude. I was going to ask if your dad was still with us. Yes, he is. Um, he is. And well, fantastic. He, and oh, he's still even in- more reason. Let, you guys have to builds, build it together. Yeah, he, he always, you know, now it's funny and I enjoy it. But as a kid, it was embarrassing, um, <laughs> the things he would come up with. And I came home from school one day and I get off the bus and, and I knew he'd been working on this truck. And it was just the truck frame with the engine and a bench seat. And I come home, and he's doing donuts out in the yard with this thing. And the gas tank is a two-liter Coke bottle on the thing. And I'm just like, shake my head and kind of look down and get off the bus. Did you say he was doing donuts? Is that your dad out there doing donuts? Yeah, Yeah, they probably thought he was the coolest guy around. I know, and I was always embarrassed of all. He would would wait until it was time for me to come home to decide to do all this stuff out in front of him. Of course. (laughs) Just be thankful he didn't collect you from school in it. Oh, I know. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. He had an old car, too, that he would take just for work. And when a... When I first got a job, my first job, I was like 13, 14. I was a busboy. And I said, can we take the good car, you know? And he goes, no, no, we're taking this one because it was like a Renault or something. And he said uh, it was like chalk white paint on it. And he says, if if we take this, they'll think you're poor and they'll give you a raise. (laughs) 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 That's hardcore. I I love love it. it. All right. Yeah. I feel so bad now that your dad was out here last year and we missed all these mm-hmm. stories. You didn't tell us anything. He has some crazy stories. stuff. Now, Emma, the other thing. Uh, yes, so darling. They were out there last June, I believe. Um, my mom's always wanted to go see the Redwoods. And last December was their 50, my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. So me and my sister, as a, their gift, bought them a trip to go see the Redwoods. And I said, I just heard about the Jameson uh, Motorcycle Museum on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. And I said, you guys got to go check that out. Dad will love it. And I said, you got to ask for Emma. You got to talk to her while you're there. And so she's all excited. We talked about this for months. And then she gets there and she goes, Emma's not here anymore. It's like, what? We stole her. Yes. And the other lady said, Literally. She, left. she doesn't leave. She needed to get a job, something that paid her, I think is what she said. <laughs> 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 no, I like, I, eh. tea and crumpets I enough. still, I still do restorations for the museum once in a while. But the museum was a voluntary gig, uh-huh. and now 
I volunteer. Well, the misfits. We stole pay me. you in peanuts. Yeah, they 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 pay me in peanuts. But now I'm I'm gin getting paid. <laughs> um, but if anybody ever comes out and wants to see the museum and actually have me show them the museum, we can prearrange it. I'll she I'll arrange it. something. The lady showed them some bikes and said, "This is a bike that Emma worked on," and you know, I mean, they had a great time. Still, they, good. You know, well, oh, that's great. Good. So, hey, uh, Sheila, I do have the information. Um, it's Leg Up Landon Gear, it's called. Uh, Leg Up, they're out of Orlando, Florida, believe it or not. It's the same website and they, where uh, Liza gets her diapers. They deploy at 14 miles per hour. Sorry. That's all right. So 14 mile, uh, when you go under 14 miles an hour, these little little landing things come out. But uh, So maybe you can look at that. But I definitely, my vote is you have to build the tribute death, death trap. That's my vote. Um, so she wanted to list for for a donor bike <laughs> for yeah. Cushman. Oh, we got to start getting the parts. <laughs> so I wanted to thank you for joining us. Um, you're welcome to stay on if you want. We're gonna let Emma drone on and on about blah, 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 some blah. badass chicks or something that she's been dying to tell us about. Okay. Do you do you know who uh, is it? Elsbeth Beard is. Well, there's a couple. There's Beryl Swain and there's Elspeth Beard. Both English women, darling. And who are so they? Did, oh, well, you're yeah. going to find out all about okay. them in the next cool. few minutes. All right. So I know you've been talking about when you first came here, you're like, yeah. darling, I'd love to tell you about these badass chicks. And I hadn't heard of them. And then I went and looked them up. I'm like, holy crap. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is the real deal. Possum's coming out. Possum sighting. Possum's coming out. You drone on. I'm going to. Grab the possum. Yeah, grab that possum. <clears throat> so, you know, I've been wanting to talk about these these two women for uh, um, quite some time. Women in motorcycling, uh, it's very dear to my heart. And we think women riding bikes is a fairly new phenomenon, and it's not. Women riding bikes, and not just riding bikes, but being badass on bikes... I'm I'm being distracted by the possum now. Possum face coming out. Has been around for a while. And there's two both English women that stick out. And they were both trailblazers in their own way. Oh god, I'm so distracted by this oh, possum. We can Liza's we got this look on her face. It's like she's going to get the possum. I put food out for the possum and it's now crunching on it. You are the possum <laughs> wrangler. So, um the first lady I want to talk talk to about is Beryl Swain. And um, Beryl, very, very interesting character. Um, normal childhood, normal adolescence. She got a job out of school. Her turn came in 1958. She was 22 years old. And she married um, a guy called Eddie, Eddie Swain. And Eddie... Fast Eddie? Fast Eddie. And Eddie ran a shop repairing motorcycles and he had some racing bikes and Beryl having married a guy who loves bikes got into them and Eddie saw some some real promise there and so she progressed up through various bikes at one stage she was messing around with 500 cc bikes but she always did better on the smaller capacity ones and so she made quite a name for herself racing 50cc um first she rode a maserati 
and then she went to an ITOM. And this was right around like 60, 61. And she was getting, getting better and better in club circuits. And her crowning achievement for the 1962 season, the 50cc class was actually recognized as an international racing class. It became a big deal. And they fielded a class of 50cc racers at the Isle of Man. And the Isle of Man, for those who don't know it, for American, it, it's the top motorcycle race in England. If you, if you race at the Isle of Man, you've made it. And so a sea of guys, there's one woman racing at the Isle of Man in 1962, and that's Beryl. Um, she loses top gear on her bike, but she still finishes 22nd, which is a staggering achievement. Um, however, it's, it should have been the start of a glittering career for her, but it wasn't because 1962, it was still pretty sexist time. And the organizers, of the Isle of Man and the FIM decided that motorcycling was far too dangerous for women. And so they pulled her license and they, just said, no, this is way too dangerous for you to be taking part in. Pulled a license so she couldn't race again and actually changed the rules. And the way they circumnavigated the rules, because they didn't want to just flat out say no women riding, they made a minimum weight what? for motor. Really? Yeah, that's how they got around it. They made a minimum weight for motorcycle racers. <clears throat> and so, of course, people of your stature. What was that weight? Sheila. Um, I think, I want to say it was 110, somewhere around there, but it precluded the very, very small women. And Beryl was very much like your stature. And so that was it. Um, she was a pioneer. She was fast. God, she was fast as fury. And she was competitive. Um, and wrong place at the wrong time. Had she been born 30 years later, She'd have been racing all the way up to the top. But back then, and 62 was the year I was born, it was so unusual for a woman to be racing and motorcycling. And they saw, the organizers saw it as such a threat. They think, we need to stop this before it becomes an epidemic. <sighs> I know. Like, I want to say why, but we know why back then. Well, you know, I... I <clears throat> I was thumbing through an old Life magazine from whenever, and they, they had a collection of photographs. And there's a, a photograph, I think it's the Boston Marath Marathon in 1967. And there's a woman running in the Boston Marathon, and the organizer of the race, and he's wearing a suit, is trying to pull her off the track. You know, so this is how far we've come. So, um, but yes, so... Beryl, she died in 2007. Um, she, she always had a soft spot for motorcycles, but she never raced again, or at least not professionally. Um, Which is, is amazing, because after, after racing Isle of Man, how, do you, how does that not... Now, hold on. When we go up to the SFMC, and there are historical pictures from yes. the last 100 years. Yes. And 100 years ago, women participated in motorcycling. 
Yes. And oh, we talked we talked about this before. There was a period around about when the war happened, I believe right. the 40s, yes. that, that women were, su- society changed, and women were supposed to be fitting typical female roles well, in the kitchen, doing, doing stuff. But prior to that... Yes, no, prior to that. And the, the war, the Second World War, changed everything, changed the whole dynamic. Because if you look back at the 1920s, and we're going to speak in very, very general terms, motorcycling was just seen as an alternative means of getting around. So it was accessible, it was as accessible to women as it was to men. You were just as likely to see a woman on a motorcycle as a guy. Giant Henderson or Indian 4 or a giant Harley Davidson, probably not so much because it would have been harder to start. I mean, these were hard bikes to start for guys. I mean, if, you, if you're if you a small uh, uh, statured woman... You could jump up and down on that Kickstarter all day and not move it. So, by definition, you'd have been riding a smaller bike. But there was no, you know, yeah. But then the Second World War came came along. The guys were off in Europe or Japan fighting. The women stayed at home and they were running the factories. Rosie the Riveter, working at the shipyards, doing the male roles. And got very, very good at it. Then the war finished. Everybody came back. And there was this huge push for women to just resume the more feminine in the kitchen, children, you know, the baby boomers. And somewhere in that mix, motorcycling became a more masculine pursuit. And then after the war, seeing women on motorcycling motorcycles became more unusual. Now, there are, are exceptions because right here in America, we had the motor maids. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, in the early 50s, the motor maids were quite the force in motorcycling. However, I should point out as the other side of the coin, the fact that we're still talking about them 60, how long ago was 1952? 60, <laughs> 64 years later, the fact that we're still talking about them shows how unusual they are. Now you go to any big Harley meet and you see tons of motor- women riding. Just like if you go back to the early 1900s, like the pictures we saw at S- yeah. SFMC, there were almost as many women riding right. as there were so men. Right, so we've kind of gone full circle. But we owe... What we've got right now, we owe to the pioneers who came in after that push, after the Second World War. And, you know, motorcycling had a bad rap for a while. I have to say, I'm looking at pictures of Beryl, and I love this one. Oh, she And she is not like some, like, you know, raging bull dyke. She No, she's very feminine. She's very feminine, long hair, pretty slender face. She's... Sitting at the kitchen table, oh, rebuilding, just man- her engine. rebuilding an engine, <laughs> <laughs> and in like a lady's blouse. Yes, absolutely. How funny! Um, I love that. And she's got this this big hair. I mean, she's yeah. she's fabulous. I mean, if she was alive today, I'd be calling her right now and say, "Hey, Beryl, talk about." It. Here's another picture of her in a dress with an apron proudly showing her race bikes, which are obviously in the front hallway of the house. Because look at you can see the stairwell next to it. Amazing. Yep. No, yeah, she's got her race bikes in the house. Amazing. You see, what um 
they weren't particularly the Swains weren't a particularly wealthy family. So even though you race at the Isle of Man, you mean, oh, well, this is a racing team. Now, I mean, this was a guy. He had a bike shop, but at home he might not have even have had a garage. You want to rebuild the engine on the bike, especially in the wintertime, you're at the kitchen table. The only problem I see with this, this caption of her in the hallway in her dress says, Isle of Man history, goddess of the gas pedals. How many race bikes have a gas pedal? Zero. <laughs> I believe the person who wrote the article knew less about motorcycles. I, I think I think so. Well, Beryl, darling, wherever you are, I know about motorcycling. I know what you did. Thank you. Just thank you. Yeah, and there's a lot of information about Beryl Swain. And now I'm thinking we need to have like the Beryl Swain Badass Award or something that we start doing here because she is totally badass. Well, what we need to do, I think we need to find a picture of Beryl, um, frame it, and then for the most badass chick who does the most ludicrous thing on a bike, we can award the Beryl Swain Award for lunacy. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a tough one. I love it. So... Thank you, Emma, for introducing us to Beryl's. Yeah, and, you know, read up on her. The, the, the whole purpose of what I'm trying to do here, because we're going to explore a lot of things on these, these uh, Wednesday nights that we're going to get together, me and Jim. It's a very intimate setting. Well, you know, I, I'm curious now more about the history of women at Isle of Man. Right, you know? so there you go. Well, well I mean... It, You've got Ginny Tinmouth. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, she's a current racer, too. She is a current racer. Yeah, 2010 uh, average lap mm -hmm, speed, mm -hmm. 119 miles an hour. Now, I before we get too much into Jenny, so 119 miles an hour in, in 2010, Beryl was ringing that little item of hers up to 80 miles an hour in 1962 out of a 50. What How kind of, what kind of suspension yeah. are you riding back then? Well, no, it was swing arm and, and telescopic fork, but it was so much more rudimentary than it was today. Disc brakes weren't thought of. Alloy wheels weren't thought of. So you had spoke wheels, tiny spoke wheels, because in order to make the most of the power, the tires were maybe, you know, a couple of inches wide. And you had these giant spoke wheels, maybe 19 inch diameter. Tiny drum brakes, just tiny, you know, like little thimbles. And, a peaky, peaky engine, and they're loud. Those little 50cc race bikes are loud because they have little expansion boxes, and the stinger at the end, the little tailpipe, is like your pinky finger. And you just, you'd have the narrowest power band. You'd get on the bike, you'd, you wouldn't have anything, and suddenly the power would come in with a rush, and just as you're getting, it's gone again, so you have to shift up into the next gear. Extremely difficult to ride. And she did it. And God bless her. But, um, yep, she died 2007, so she'd be 71. And, you know, Beryl never had kids, but she came across as a good person. You know, she's a misfit. And I'll tell you why she's a misfit. Yes. She's a misfit, mm. first of all, because she broke all the rules when she raced in the Isle of Man. She was the first one to do so. She 
gave a giant fuck you to the organizers and the FIM, like, I'm going to race in this. And then parked her bikes in the hallway. Parked her bikes in the hallway. Or foyer. But, you know, she was all about the community. And towards the end of her life, I mean, she was very active in supporting the local community. And it, it's, it goes full circle to what I say. It's all about the community. And it's all about those around you and who you can give. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Damn right she's a misfit. Yeah, she's a misfit for sure. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So I'm going to move on to somebody else. And um, a slightly different story. Is this another badass oh, chick? Oh, this is the most badass chick of all time. Oh, really? Yeah, this I is the this. most. And it's not you, Liza. Oh. I know you're disappointed. Go wrestle your possum over there. <laughs> <laughs> you weirdo. This chick, Liza, is just so beyond badass. So beyond badass. And, you know, you're badass, but, oh my God. So, we're going to talk about Elspeth. Elspeth Beard. Elspeth Beard, architect, single mother. She's just a fabulous woman. So, we're going to go back to the early 80s. And Elspeth Beard um, was studying to be an architect. And when you, if you want to be an architect, it's a, it's a seven-year degree course. And you can split it up. You do three years, which is your degree, and then you do um, another four years, which is your master, and there you are. You're, a, you're an architect, and off you go. Well, after three years, Elspeth took some time off, and she said, you know, I want some adventure because before I settle down and become an adult and become a grown-up and do grown-up things, I want some adventure in my life. And so she got it into her head. She wanted to ride a motorcycle around the world. Nothing wrong with that. So she bought herself a used BMW R60, 600cc flat twin. Um, uh, and this thing is loaded up, too. Well, you, well, that was when she made the trip. Yeah. There's a picture of her standing next to a sign which says, I think says Marleybone Road, of her just after she bought it, and she's pretty, and the bike's pretty, and the bike got ugly real fast. Um, but she bought herself a BMW R60, which is actually quite a good choice. And it was already a used bike. I think it got 30,000 miles on it already. She paid, I think she paid either 900 or or 1,000 pounds, so about 1,800 bucks, which was a lot of money for a bike. Back in 1980, it was a huge amount of money. You could have bought a brand new Japanese bike for that, but she wanted the BMW. And over the next two or three years, she made increasingly long trips just to get used to the bike, just to get used to how it handled, how, to get used to how she was on a long trip. She rode it length and breadth of England. She rode it all over Europe. She became very comfortable with the bike. So when she finally set off on a round-the-world trip, her first leg, she went to New York. So she had the bike shipped overseas to New York. And rather than just ride across America, she rode up to Canada, then she rode down to Mexico. Rode all the way across America, 
got to the Pacific Ocean, had it shipped over the Pacific Ocean. Um, and I should I should point out she's in her early twenties right now. So the bike was shipped to Sydney, and while the bike was being shipped across, she explored um, Southern Australia and New Zealand. It's a, it's a fabulous country. I've been out myself, and she kind of took a break on the on the trip. She actually did a little bit of intern work with with an architectural practice in Sydney, which served her well later in life. So she took a little bit of a break, um, but. While she was while she was working, she was living in a garage. She was saving up more money for the trip. Because the thing is, and a lot of people underestimate how much you're going to spend on a trip like this. And I think the one thing that she woefully underestimated was how much money she needed. So by the time she'd got a bike over to Australia, her funds were running short. So I think the the break allowed her to replenish her funds. So she replenished the funds, got back on the bike, started heading west. So it's all about going, it's all about going west. And then um, rode all over, all over Australia. And then had a big accident in Townsville. I think it was Townsville. Yeah, Townsville, Queensland. Yeah. Cartwheeled the bike. Made a hell of a mess of the bike. Made a hell of a mess of her. I mean, she was badly concussed. And that cost her two weeks in hospital. Um, would you or I have started whimpering? Not Elspeth. No. Fix the bike. Got back on the bike. Because she's badass. Because she's so badass. <laughs> and continued on her trip. Um, so she went up the east coast of Oz. Went through the outback, and then she went to Perth, which is on the west coast, and put the BMW on a uh, put the BM on a boat, and ended up in Singapore. Um, <laughs> I know it's coming up next. <laughs> does, it, does it involve a sling? No, I hope so. I know it's coming up next, and this is good. Well, so she's exploring Singapore, and all her shit is stolen. Mm. Everything, passport visas, documents, everything, pretty much everything she owns is stolen. Why? why because uh, it wasn't secured on the bike? Yeah. 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 Lessons learned. Mm -hmm. Did this cause her to finish her trip? Hell no. Because she's badass. Well, not just that. As an architect, too. It, She's a capable person and can design things that she, well, she we're, needs. Well, we're going to talk about designing things a little bit later as well. But didn't no? But didn't she design herself some and some new panniers? And oh make yeah. Them? yeah, yeah. She designed herself some aluminium panniers, yes. which took up the whole of the back of the bike. There were um, aluminum, pop riveted together, just ugly as sin, <laughs> but. She could put everything in there. They were secure. They were safe. Perfect for the trip. So, let's see. Oh, did, so did, did you cover the incident in Thailand? No, we're coming to okay. that. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
so where were we? So she's in the uh, ba, 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 she's going in the Thai Malaysian border. Mm-hmm. No, um, we're talking on um, the incident in India, the crash. Do you want to uh, talk about the big crash? I thought that was in Thailand, no. the one with the dog. No, <laughs> no. Oh, what do you got? That was. Um, let me see. She was uh, loading the bike. I'm reading from notes because, I mean, this, <laughs> this is such a good story. I don't want to miss out anything. Um, so let me see. Yeah, no, it says it was in Madras. Okay. So she's riding along on the bike. She's following a truck. A dog, <laughs> which was obviously trying to bite the wheels of the truck, Ran out from behind it. She hit the dog. Threw her off the bike. The bike hit a tree. Tore the cylinder off the side. Just mangled the panniers. Mangled herself. Once again, she was concussed. Apparently, she woke up. She woke up in a strange bed, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> surrounded by a family. Yeah. Spoke no English. Right. And um. Cut a long story short, I mean, they nursed her back to health. Oh, but it, it says in the story that they took her in and, and helped her recuperate and fed her the dog. Well, they all, <laughs> they all ate the dog. And in retrospect, <laughs> yeah. she said, you know, these people were so kind to me. And I stayed with them for a couple of weeks, and she never realized why they were so kind, aside from the fact they were great people. she fed them. Because she fed, fed them because everyone ate the bloody dog. I mean, how cool is that? So, um, no, actually, I have told you a lie. It was in Thailand. I am yes. so sorry. It That was in Thailand. So, anyway, so from Thailand, she goes to India. Um, she repaired the bike. She repaired herself. She's on the road again. Rode up to Calcutta, to Kathmandu. And at Kathmandu, she met with her parents. And apparently it wasn't the most happy meeting because her parents were expecting her to look like she did when she left, and she didn't. She'd lost about 40 pounds, and she wasn't big to begin with. And having done some long trips myself, I mean, nothing of this magnitude, you look pretty bad on a road trip. Well, especially when you're cartwheeling motorcycles right, exactly. and so killing she, dogs for dinner. Yeah, so she's kind of banged up and bruised up, and she's lost about 30 pounds. And I think they they were really, really shocked about how bad she looked. Um, and from that point, after her parents left, um, she met up with a Dutchman, who I think was Robert. I want to say his name was Robert. Oh, the Dutchman. The Dutchman. <laughs> oh, those Dutchmen. Well, they, they well, actually... Just watch out for their rudders. They actually completed the trip together, um, which made things a little easier. So, um, but there was quite a few adventures that they had together. They got into India, and unfortunately, the timing was lousy because when they were in India, uh, they were in uh, in India. There was a, a coup, and they stormed the Sikhs' temple, and everything got shut down. Um, if you know your history, in the mid eighties, Mrs. Gandhi was assassinated, so there was this huge upheaval going on in the town, and 
basically the Punjab where they were was just completely sealed off. You couldn't get in, you couldn't get out. People were trapped. And so there was this band of Westerners. I think there were, she said in retrospect there was about 20 or 30 of them and everybody needed permits to get out. Nobody could get out. Did did this stop her? No, because she's so badass. Badass. She forged a permit for herself <laughs> to get out of the country. How cool is that? And of course, because none of the border guards knew what the permits looked like, <laughs> she just presented this thing. Confidently. Confidently. And you may pass. And it's like, Jesus Christ, I got out of there. How cool is that? So um, that got her into Pakistan. And then from Pakistan, they ended up in Iran. And Iran, they they were in Iran in the Middle East just after the revolution. Yeah, so that wasn't a good time to be there. It was not a good time to be there. But the roads actually were remarkably good. So it was plain sailing. Still riding? Still riding. Same bike? Same bike. Heavily repaired. I would guess so. <laughs> hugely repaired. Um, unfortunately, by this time... Um, Elspeth had got hepatitis, so she could barely stand up. Um, the bike was actually suffering as well. She could barely stand. She could barely operate the brakes on her bike. She was so weak, but she was still riding. Um, the clutch on the bike was playing up. The rib brakes on the bike were playing up. It was holding itself together. She was holding herself together, but... She got to Turkey. And the thing is, a lot, a lot of these places, she was always very reluctant to take a helmet off because a lot of people assumed she was a guy. Now, remember, yeah. this is the 80s, and it wasn't always safe for women. It still isn't, in some parts of the world, safe for women to travel. But back then, people had so little experience, especially of Western women traveling. So she always kept her helmet on, and people just assumed she was a guy. Other thing I want to point out about this trip, before we get into the final stretch, we have just going through Europe. We get very blasé about traveling now. I mean, we've got sat-nav on our phone. <laughs> yeah. But no mobile phone, no navigation of any, t any kind. You want to get somewhere, you look at a map. You don't know where the nearest gas station is going to be. You don't know what you're heading into. The internet wasn't anything you could rely on. It was mammoth, mammoth. So from Turkey, she got herself back via Yugoslavia, went through Europe and got back into London, which was a hometown She'd been away three years. She'd done 48,000 miles. She'd ridden around the world. She cemented her place in history as the first woman to ride around the world solo. Yeah, I think, what is it, 45,000? How many? 48,000 48, miles. 48,000, yeah. 48,000 miles over three years. You want another best part? Yeah. She still owns the bike. I was going to say, what? where's the bike? Well, there's a postscript to this story. I became fascinated with Elspeth's story a couple of years ago. 
And so I wrote to her. And she is a charming woman. She wrote back, and we sent some emails backwards and forwards. Um, absolutely, just amazingly badass woman. She completed her studies. She completed her master's. She became the architect she always wanted to be. She lives in a converted water tower oh, in London. Beautiful. It, it is, is the beautiful. most beautiful place. She raised a child on her own. She doesn't need a guy in her life. Oh my god! Emma, Especially a Dutchman. We need to. We need to interview her. You know, I think we do. Well, because I'm seeing um, that she wrote a book this year, I believe. She did write a book. When I was emailing her backwards and forwards, she was yet to um, write a book, and she said, "Yeah, my book's coming out um, in 2016." So. I would really like to talk to her on the show. I mean, she's she's a trailblazer. She's an and her place in history is completely assured because this was before actors started doing it and making it famous. She rode into the unknown. Absolutely rode rode into the unknown. She must have got nerves of steel. And she's a very successful architect. She still rides BMWs. She loves BMWs. Um, still got the original one that she rode around the world, but obviously it's it's in semi-retirement now. I mean, the thing's done 88,000. Well, it's probably done over 100,000 miles now because yeah. she uses it. Um, but it's it's semi-retired, but she, she still rides pretty much every day. Um, is she a misfit? Hell yeah, she's a misfit. She's one of us. Oh God, she's yeah. Actually, I kind of feel like we're dirty in her name. Well, you know, <laughs> but in know, essence, she's 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 amazing. We she's can, who we look up to. We can worship her as a goddess. Yes, there we go. And <gasps> she, um, she is beautiful. You know, um, that is something this garage is missing. We need a shrine. You mean the uh, your ovaries on the wall aren't enough with the? Uh, <laughs> we can have Beryl and Elspeth. And Guy Martin, why are all the British people going to be in the shrine? What the hell's going on here? We need some Americans. <laughs> we'll get, some, we'll no, get Pitton in there. Um, That's all right. I am proposing a Texan to be in the shrine. Oh, Sheila, do you even want to try and guess who she's talking about? <laughs> and again, it's something. And I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk about Rolly another time. But my uh, proposition for the shrine of motorcycling lunatics is Rolly Free. Okay. And we're going to talk about Rolly at some sta stage in the future. But any man who rides a Vincent Black Lightning at 153 miles an hour wearing just his underpants is okay with me. <laughs> I love it. So I think we're... Sounds like Sheila's dad. <laughs> I think we're we're getting about time to wrap it up. Yeah, it's about so, that time, isn't it? It's late. Gym I wanted time. to thank Sheila for being the first uh, misfit to join Hooray! us on this and uh, for trying it out. And then Emma also, it's like Emma's story time. Emma's history hole. Emma's history hole. It's a great bedtime yeah. story for me. Yeah, no, but thanks for listening, Sheila. Thanks for listening to me drone on and on. Um Oh, thanks but for telling yeah, me. I've, I've written down all the names so I can research it. Yeah, and that's that's the point I want to make about this. This is just an introduction. I want all of you listening to this, do your own research. Um, and you know what? I'm going to put it out there. Elspeth Beard 
has an architectural business, Elspeth Beard and Associates. Just send her an email and tell her how fucking badass she is. Totally. You know, I think you, I think we need to. Just fire off an email and just say, I know your story now. You are probably the most badass motorcyclist I've ever heard of. She needs the recognition. I, I agree. Deserves. No, she, no, she deserves the recognition. Not needs. She deserves the recognition. There are a lot of people out there doing some really cool things on bikes, and I'm glad that you're reminding us of some people who did things in the past. Right. Um, because that was at a time when there wasn't the social media to share it. Exactly. And it's taken this long, it sounds like, for her to, to write a book about her stories. And, you know, it's, it's just a shame. Beryl's not around to receive the glory she deserves. But, you know, she's up there in biking heaven riding around on her ITOM and, you know... <laughs> um, but Elspeth is alive, and I really hope that the book and just the recognition she's getting on the internet now really is it, she. She really does deserve it. And there's a picture of her sitting out astride her BMW during the trip, which has to be one of the great images of women motorcycling. It's it's. It's unparalleled as an image of a woman on a motorcycle. It really is. Um, I've yet to show that picture to anyone who isn't. That is badass. Yeah, I agree. Well, this is just gives us someone else to do an interview with. And like I said, our normal Sunday night format has not lent to having people Skype or call in to do interviews. There's just too much of a zoo in here. But now that we have this uh, new format, we can try and do that. So... I think, um, yeah, I think this is a great thing we're doing. I would love for people to give us feedback if you like these uh, smaller podcasts we're doing and if there's any topics or or historical people or anything at all that you would like to share with us. Or, as I said, if you feel like you are a misfit too and you would like to come and be on this like Sheila, then email us and we'll make it happen. So, And if I can just jump in. I mean, guys, if there's anything you want to know history-wise, you ever wondered about the history of Suzuki or ever, just fire us a line. I'll do the research. I'll read it out. This is Emma's history hole. It's, de <laughs> it's deep and dark. It is deep and dark. <laughs> <laughs> but you may boldly go where if you have gone. <laughs> and also, I want to remind everyone that Christmas is coming up, and I don't have a lot of T-shirts left, but they do make a Great present at Christmas time. As they? do the calendars. When and are they the calendars out? are coming up. So I think I have um, the 2016, because I, I do a different color every year. I think I have like six large, six extra large left of the navy blue 2016 shirts. Um, so email me or you can go on to our website or, uh, and, and order one there. We'll trade for possum. <laughs> exactly. But... The way you contact us is, well, why don't you tell everyone, Zach? You can find us online at MotorcyclesAndMisfits.com, on Facebook at Recycle Santa Cruz. Send us an email at RecycleMotorcycleGarage at gmail.com, and you can call and leave us a voicemail at 831-291-5112. And call and leave us a message. Say anything you want. If you want to leave an intro, if you want to tell uh 
Emma how much you love her and want to be in her army. (laughs) (laughs) Or rip on Liza about Harley's. We always love those are good rants. Let her have it. Oh, anything at all. Then go ahead and leave a message there. So I think we're ready to wrap up. Um, Sheila, I'm going to do the roll call like we do. I think you know what to do. So um, thank everyone for listening. I think we're ready to get out of here. This is Liza. And this is Emma Darling. Naked Jim. Sheila in Texas. Yeah, and we are out of here. Cool, cool. cool.